the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we have a number of verses to read here this evening. Luke chapter 1, the verse 26. And the word of God says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Heal thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And, behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And then move down to the verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this evening. The Roman Catholic Church exalts Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, to a degree that is not supported by Holy Scripture. Therefore, specific Marian dogmas that are defined by the authorities within the Roman Catholic Church. Firstly, the title of the Mother of God, which was given to her at the Council of Ephesus in 431 A.D., her Assumption into Heaven, which is more recent, Pope Pius XII in 1950. And uh, at the end of life, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. 
There is her Immaculate Conception. Pope Pius IX was involved with that in 1854. And that dogma teaches that Mary was preserved immaculate from original sin at her own conception. And so she herself was free from that sin that has affected all of mankind. And then there's her perpetual virginity, uh, which uh, was set forth by the Synod of Milan in 389 AD. She was therefore a virgin before, during and after giving birth. And to defend that, they would say that the brothers of the Lord mentioned in Scripture uh, would be the same way that uh, the men here this evening would be my brothers, not in a physical sense, uh, but maybe nationally and maybe spiritually. And so uh, they deny uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that his mother and father had uh, other children uh, later on. And so... There are many misconceptions, many heresies, many errors concerning uh, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. 18 years ago, I attended the School of Theology at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, Spurgeon's Church. And I remember two things about that conference. Firstly, uh, the terrorist attacks that took place the 7th of July, 2005. Uh, They were frantic calls to me by family members. I remember uh, waiting for the bus, and in those days we were camping and we didn't have a cell phone charger. I bought something in the shop that you put batteries in to try to charge the cell phone. It didn't work too well. This is like technology 18 years ago. And I had a very, very bad signal on my phone. And my father called me and said, are you going on the underground today? I says, no, we're not planning to. We're going to the conference all day. He says, there's rumors about some sort of an explosion. Um, he says, maybe, you know, something to do with power or something like that. I says, no, we're boarding the bus. And he phoned several minutes later and told us to get off the bus uh, because he'd heard uh, that the explosion was terrorist attacks and that a bus had been involved as well. And so it was quite the experience for a young 19-year-old. Uh, but secondly, one of the first messages at that conference was by an old minister. And he preached on Mary. And... What he said has stuck with me. He presented her as an example for us. And as one whom we as Protestants often shy away from because of the emphasis upon her by the Roman Catholic Church. But he made a strong point in saying that Bible-believing Christians have turned away from her or avoided her because she has been exalted by Rome. We don't want to be accused of exalting her or following in the Pope's footsteps and placing her on a pedestal. But yet he said there are many things that we can learn from this woman and her testimony. And what we see in the verses we read is an example to us. And the study of her life should be on a par with our consideration of other Bible personalities as well. Matthew Henry said, we have here an account of the mother of our Lord. Though we are not to pray to her, yet we ought to praise God for her. So I want us to consider Mary's example in accepting God's revelation. Mary's example in accepting God's revelation. And that is what she did. She accepted the revelation that came from the angel telling of the great plan of God for the world and for her life in the coming of the Messiah. And so firstly, we see her simple faith in God that is grounded upon his revelation. Her simple faith in God that is grounded upon his revelation. We don't know too much about 
Mary or her background. We know that she came from the royal line of David. Uh, We read that the Lord was with her and she experienced the blessing of the Lord. But in verse 28, the angel says to her, Heal thou that art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then we find uh, verse 31, the promise of the Messiah being given to her. And the Son of God was not to be born by ordinary generation. He was not to be born like you or I. He was not to partake of the sinful and corrupt nature of man. And so, in the power of God and in the supernatural working of the Spirit, Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost. And we find here that this was a promise, the promise of a Messiah that fulfilled the promise of God. The whole incarnation record teaches us this. God is a God who keeps his promises. Third in Genesis, we have that proto-evangel, the first time the gospel is preached, of the one who would come and bruise the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15, bruise the serpent's head, the Messiah who would come. And way back then, thousands of years before Christ came into the world, God made a promise and he kept that promise. And he kept that promise because of his power. Because of his power. Because he is the one who is in control. He is the one whose spirit worked in a powerful way here. And his sinless nature was preserved. And that was a miracle. One of the Scottish Covenanters said, For if he had been tainted with the least spot of our corruption, he had been incapable of being a redeemer. He never could have redeemed others who he never could have redeemed others if he stood in need of redemption himself. And so there's a great miracle took place. And here we find this revelation comes to Mary. We see the grace that was upon her, the free love and favor for another bestowed upon her. We see something of the spiritual character of her, She was one who was favored, one who was blessed, one who received divine grace. She was one who who knew her Lord and one who knew her Savior and one who responded in simple faith. And that faith was grounded upon what God told her through the angel. She believed his word. That's how simple it is. She believed the word that the angel gave her from the Lord. She said, how can these things be? Verse 34, seeing and I know not a man. She didn't say, this is absolutely crazy and foolish. But she said, how can this happen? Seeing I know not a man. And the angel says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. She had a simple faith. A simple faith. You may say, well, it was easy to have simple faith. She was given the opportunity of a lifetime, chosen by God to be the one to bring his son into the world. What a privilege that is. She could only respond in a positive way. But I want you to think for a moment. Think of the worry. The espousal in those days was far stronger than our engagement, not on the same level as marriage, uh, but strong somewhere probably between our engagement and marriage in modern society. And she was expecting a child. Her future marriage was in ruins. 
She would have had this story to tell, but who would have believed her? Matthew 1 records for us the attitude of Joseph when he heard the news. He was heartbroken. But being a good, just man, he didn't want to make a public example. And so he was going to put her aside privately, privately, end it privately. But the Lord spoke to him. He believed. And this is something that went against nature. Mary's question here was not one of doubt, but one of belief and inquiry as to how it would actually happen. We can think of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ being born not in comfortable surroundings, but in a stable. She fled to Egypt. She saw her son, the son of God, rejected by his people and crucified upon the cross. How terrible would that have been for a mother to witness But in regard to her following the will of God for her life, there were blessings, yes. But in all these things, there were struggles and difficulties. But she responded in a way that glorified God. There was a lack of pride here as well. When we think of her speaking to Elizabeth, there's a lack of pride regarding what took place. And of course, her song that we'll turn to in a moment, shows us a lack of pride. A lack of pride. Verse 37 is a comfort to us because it says here, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And is that not what she believed? Is that not what she'd experienced? And her faith was grounded upon God's revelation. And dear believer tonight, our circumstances are most obviously different than Murray's. But yet, we can experience the same simple faith by believing the revelation of God. By believing his word. By holding fast to it. And through that word, we have peace. We have comfort. And we have salvation. And we have joy. We have that strength and that courage to go forth with God. Just like Mary did. And then secondly, I want you to see her pious submission to God in response to his revelation. Her pious submission to God. In verse 38, she says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She was submissive and showed a godly submissiveness. We mentioned submission and subjection on the Lord's day. And here we have a woman of faith who submitted unto God's plan for her in life in response to the truth that God had given to her. And of course, not every individual is immediately responsive to God's plan for their life or not immediately responsive to the revelation in the word of God that he has given. And there's a reminder here for us that one of the characteristics of the godly individual the one who loves the Lord, the one who desires to walk in his ways, one of those attributes and characteristics of the godly and pious man or woman is to respond submissively to the truth of God, to respond willingly. Lord, show me thy path. And the Lord shows you the path. And you walk it by his grace. How many have prayed for God's will and realized they don't like God's will. They want their own will. They want their own ideas. They want their own path that is much better 
But yet the path of God is a blessed path for us to walk. And God's path for Mary was picked by the Lord, decreed by him. And she showed a godly submission in following. In following. Be it unto me according to thy word. Oh, is that our response to the word of God? When God's word comes to us, it may tell us nice things. It may tell us what we want to hear. It may show us things within our lives and we know, well, we do that. It might show us sin and it might show us wickedness and corruption. And we can say with a heart that is right before God that we do not walk in that path because of the Lord. And he's kept us from these things. And we rejoice in that and we desire to continue walking in God's path. But yet sometimes God's word shows us the path of sin. And the path of wickedness. And we are on that path. Even his, his people, we're walking in that way of sin. We're engaged in those sins. And the word of God convicts us. And points out our faults. And points out our feelings. And what are we to do? We're to piously submit to what God is teaching. And what God is showing us to do. Whatever he shows us in his will, we are to follow and we are to obey. She was humbly submissive. She calls herself the handmaid or the servant of the Lord. And that's who you and I are. I think a handmaid is a term more associated with women, so the men aren't necessarily handmaids. But we're all servants. We're all servants. We can think of the word that is used in the New Testament to denote servant, slave, doulos. We're all slaves to the Lord. We're servants who've been bought with a price. We're servants who willingly serve our master. And in submission, she says, I'm a handmaid. I'm a servant. I'll do the will of my master. Dear believer, we are to humbly submit ourselves. The Lord is above us. He's our head. He's our king. We are the mere servant. And so let us walk that path, a servant's path, and have a servant's attitude to the work of God. Every believer should be submissive to the will of God. And this refers to godly submission that is over and above our own plans and ideas. What was Mary's plan for her life? Well, to get married to Joseph. What came next? Settle down. He was a carpenter. He had income. They would set up a home. And then in God's will, children would come along. God's plan was different. And there was a few, we could say, hurdles to overcome. Joseph needed to have faith and believe also in the great promise that God had given and fulfilled in his future spouse. She herself had to submit to the will of God. We have our own plans and ideas, but God often has different plans. God often has different plans. I remember coming out of Bible college, you had all sorts of ideas and plans and wondering um, as to where God would lead you, as to where you would go. And I thought, well... I likely be in Northern Ireland. And then I was in Australia for a year. Then I came back to Northern Ireland. And then in God's will I ended up in Canada. And I wouldn't have chosen Canada. God chose it for me. 
and uh, brought that about in various ways, as you all know. Uh, but yet, uh, the Lord had to open that door, and the Lord had to uh, lead and guide and direct regarding that. We can have our own ideas and plans and our comfort zone and where we prefer to be and how we prefer to serve the Lord, but often, often it's different. The Lord has different plans, and we are to piously submit in godliness to God's dealings with us. Then thirdly and finally, her exalting song to God because of his revelation. Notice from the verse 46 down to the verse 55, we have a song. It is called the Magnifica. It is Mary's song of praise. And what do we notice about this without reading it again? Uh, we can see verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. We won't uh, read the rest of it again. But God is at the centre. And so her response to this revelation, her song of joy and her song of praise, has God at the very centre. She rejoiced by breaking into song. By breaking into song and praising the God of heaven. Some commentators have said, this is one of the first Christian hymns. It bridges the gap between the Hebrew Psalms and the Christian hymns of the Church of Christ. And when we think of what we have here, we can almost think that Mary has a degree in theology. She's dealing with great truths. She's dealing with who God is and how God works and moves and how God governs the world, and how God goes about his plan. And we see the sovereignty of God, and the centrality of God to our existence. So why was she able to write such a famous and theologically heavy song? And the answer is simple. Well, there's the inspiration of God involved in writing the words of Scripture, but yet... Did she not know her Bible? Did she not know the Old Testament? This song is very like many from the Psalms. Something that David may have written. And here she praises the Lord using language that could be taken straight from the Psalms. She knew the Word of God. She knew the truth of God. And there's an important lesson for us to know God's word, to be found in God's word. And as we praise God and as we pray prayers of thankfulness, do we not glean from the word of God and glean from our understanding of God? When we think of those whom we interact with, when we think of our spouse, for example, and the various things we talk to our spouse about. And we think of the depth of the conversation. We think of knowing who they are and their feelings and their thoughts and knowing them. And how we word the conversation and you know, the things that we can talk about and ask for their advice. And we know who they are. But imagine the very first time you met your spouse. Talking all those deep things straight away. As if you'd known them for 10, 20, 50 years. 
they would wonder what what's going on here. Uh, that that communication develops as you build that relationship, as you marry, as you spend your lives together. That relationship and that communication matures and develops. And so uh, the nerves of that first meeting, the nerves of not knowing what to say or stumbling over your words or not really talking about the deep thoughts that you have within you or your concerns about various aspects of life, uh, all those things will come later on. And it's natural to talk about those things and to understand your spouse's perspective. There's a deepness to the conversation that wasn't there at the very start. And here we have the Lord's servant, Mary. And she's speaking of depth and she's speaking of who God is and she's speaking of great theological truths. Why? Because there's this relationship. She didn't just meet God. For the very first time, I believe, when this promise came, she was following the Lord before then. She knew her Bible. She knew the word of God. She knew the truth. Her heart had been saturated with the great truths of God. And even more so uh, in the months preceding what we have here. So because she knew the word of God, she spoke. Because the word of God was written on her heart, she sang these words. It was God-centered. It magnified and gave God the glory. It glorified the work of God regarding salvation. It rejoiced in all that God had done. It was reverent. And that's how our worship and how our praise ought to be as well. God-centered, giving him the glory, glorifying the work of God and salvation and in other ways. And rejoicing in all that God had done. And she knew that from her heart. Do we desire to do that? Do we know the word of God? So much so that it deepens our relationship. That when we praise the Lord, it's about reverence. It's about lifting his name up. It's not about enjoying ourselves. It's not about, we could say, the swaying or the dancing or whatever is used in modern worship today. It's a reverence toward the Lord. Exalting him because that is what we see here. She exalted the Lord. Because of the great revelation that he had given to her. Revelation concerning the Son. Revelation concerning the Savior. The one who would come and be the Savior and Redeemer of this world. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. There's a great reminder of what the Lord had done, what the Lord would do through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our praise should be centered on him. And so let Mary be an example for us. And let us think often upon her, not to exalt her, not to raise statues to her and bow down to those statues, But like every other servant of God that we see in scripture. To be an example. To be a blessing. And may we pray and submit and praise God. For his truth and for his revelation to us. Amen and may the Lord bless his word tonight.